Welcome to this edition of the Disciples Men podcast with your host Greg Alexander and Alex Ruth. Thank you for joining us as we explore the many challenges of being man of faith in these challenging times. Disciples Men is a ministry of Disciples Home Missions of the Christian Church, Disciples of Christ in the U.S. and Canada. Let's listen in today's conversation. Welcome to another edition of the Disciples Men podcast. Alex Ruth, your Associate Director of Disciples Men with you, and we have with us again today uh, our Director of Disciples Men, Greg Alexander. Greg, how are you today? Hello, Alex. I am quite well, thanks. Uh, uh, and I'm glad to be uh, having a conversation with you again. It seems like it's been forever, but I know it hasn't been quite that long. I know. It, it, it seems like uh, we, go, we go forever between these, but it, because they're so much fun when we have them. <laughs> I, I don't Maybe know if everybody... Find... Go ahead. Maybe we shouldn't be working so hard. Maybe we should <laughs> be uh, devoting more time to these conversations. Oh, uh, that's there's an interesting point in there. I think we'll wrap back to it in just a second. But uh, uh, I I certainly do enjoy these times to to sit and to just discuss life. Um, I think that's an important part uh, of of ministry and especially ministry to and with men uh, that we're engaged with. So today we're going to talk about uh, what is I think very exciting. Um, the second resource uh, in our Jesus Way uh, curriculum series um, that has been published and is available uh, currently on the Disciples Home Missions website. Uh, but the easiest way to get there is through the JesusWayMen.net website. Um, that's where you find out all the information that you could ever want to know about the Jesus Way, uh, the materials involved there. So our second. Um, curriculum piece uh, is focused on the Bible, which is maybe something new for, uh, for some of us. And uh, Greg, I just wanted to spend some time today um, talking about that resource and, and why we think it's important uh, to have this kind of a curriculum and this kind of conversation uh, in men's ministry. That's a great question. Um, both of, both you and I, as you know, a uh, lot of years in ministry, we've seen we've seen you know the responses of congregational members, uh, you know, to various Bible studies that we've offered. And my history has been that those courses have been uh, probably two thirds or more women, and an older man or two that might come with a spouse or. Uh, you know, an elder, an elder who loves to, you know, be a part of the church, uh, an older man. Um, but the younger guys um, who are still in the church, I've never seemed to, in my experience, have not seemed to, to find the Bible study or time spent with the Bible uh, as important as, um, uh, as the women in the church do. And um, part of the reason for developing the Bible study was to help, in, to help create a resource where men could engage the Bible in a different, from a different understanding. Right. Let me, uh, let me use an example. Um, you know that I'm a woodturner. Right. That's something that I, that's one of my hobbies. And I confess that I spend a lot of time on YouTube uh, uh, watching videos of guys turning wood. 
Um, I'm still relatively new, I've only been doing it three or four years, but still a lot to learn. And, and I go there and I'm entertained and, and enlightened by watching these folks do their craft. And, uh, and honestly, it makes me a better wood turner because I take what I learned from them and apply it, you know, uh, in, the, in, in my shop. And, uh, and so I have a real fascination with those because I have a real hunger to be a better wood turner. The Bible is also a how-to manual, and it's how to live life the Jesus way uh, is essentially its, its purpose, uh, at least for the Christian faith. And yet, it doesn't have the same kind of interest uh, for men of faith as, you know, um, going to a how-to book for your right. hobby or, or another passion. And so the whole idea about the Bible, writing the Bible curriculum, was to say, uh, men, this is not about telling you what not to do. That's not the point of the Bible. The Bible isn't there to tell you how bad you are. Right. It's not a rule book, which is, I fear, how it's been often sold and presented in, in congregational life. But what it is, is it's a roadmap to relationship. It shows you how to deepen one's relationship with spouse, kids, God, neighbor, you know, the whole, the whole gamut of, of, of human beings. And, uh, and so it, it's there to, to show us how, and Jesus is the model, which, you know, why we embrace the Jesus way metaphor. It's a, it's a, it's a how-to book to show us how to live our lives in a way that un, unleashes the full blessing of God in our lives so that we can be a blessing to others, to the lives of those around us. One thing that I've noticed, uh, I think it, it also uh, answers some of that question, is uh, oftentimes, uh, in my experience, the Bible is overly simplified as, as it's presented to us. Um, so I drive by a number of churches on the way between uh, the church uh, that I serve and my home. And one of them um, early on this year had a, a slogan that we've probably all seen and heard before. Um, the Bible says it. I believe it. That settles it. But I, I think you and I both believe that the Bible is at the same time, more complex than that, and also much more beautiful than that. Um, that simplistic way of, of thinking about um, what the, the depth and breadth of this text, the sacred text that we have is, um, kind of minimizes its impact on my life here in the 21st century. Um, this, you know, this is a book that was written several thousands of years ago compiled over many, many years. Um, and, and it's a, the, the breadth and depth of the message is quite frankly, beautiful and awe-inspiring. Without a doubt, uh, sir, I would, I would salute that for sure. Um, you know, uh, over time, I, even when I began ministry, um, I spent the time I spent with the text was to prepare sermons or Bible studies. Right. And, um, and so it was, uh, uh, 
it was more or less a kind of a time scripted engagement. You know, I had to come up with a sermon on Sunday. I had to come up with something to teach to my Sunday school class or my Bible study group. And, and so it was a, it was a work document in some sense for, for lack of a better term. Well, about, um, oh, it's been over 15 years ago. I shared a little bit of my journey uh, as an oblate at St. Myron at Arch Abbey, uh, which I've been doing now for over 15 years. And essentially what that does is it gave me a discipline of prayer and study that I never had before. And um, I think if we're honest with ourselves, has never been really part and parcel of what it meant to be a disciple. Uh, right. Pastors encourage it, uh, but I don't think we've ever made it quite as uh, foundational to our faith as what one's ex one experiences, especially in a monastery. Well, that uh, what, what that did for me is that I was now engaging the text through the, the prayer discipline I embraced through the monastery in the Oblate program, rather than doing it to preach a sermon uh, or to do a Bible study or to write a men's curriculum or whatever. I was doing it as a part of edification, of deepening faith. It was, you know, um, I'm, not a, I'm not a drinker, but I guess like people who savor a fine wine or a good bourbon, you know, that there's something about it that, that creates an ambiance all of its own you know, that's more than just the taste of the wine or the bourbon. Right. And, and so I, you know, again, I began to experience the uh, greater fullness of the Bible and the text than I ever had. I began reading the, doing a reading through the Bible in a year as a part of my daily meditation. I've done that. I don't know more times than I can count now. And, and this is kind of confessional is that, you know, I was a lectionary preacher and what I discovered was, wow, there's a whole lot more to the Bible than what the lectionary tells us. Now, I knew that intellectually, but you get in a rut, you know? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's all the time you got is to, is to prepare for your sermon or your Bible study. And I'm sure that there was a way that I presented the text as a pastor that did create for men in the congregation a sense of he's only doing that because he has to, not because he wants to. Right. And... When I began to engage the text as a part of my daily meditation uh, all those years ago, everything changed. I, I fell in love with the Bible. Yeah. And, and I discovered that it wasn't, it, was, it wasn't telling me so much of what I couldn't do. That's, that's the negative people what focus on to control you. Yes, right. you can find those statements there. But that wasn't what Jesus was about. Jesus was inviting us into relationship. Yes. Jesus was inviting us into deeper experiences of life. Jesus was inviting us, you know, into deeper experiences of faith and understanding. Jesus told us to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And so the Bible became an act, a, a way of, of expanding my mind and a new lens in which to see the world. And again, all the don't do's, uh, you know, that, were a part of my upbringing. Again, I wasn't a fundamentalist. It just was, that's what you did. You heard all these things you shouldn't do. And, uh, and all of a sudden I began to realize the poetry that, you know, just the imagery, uh, the, the depth of, of love of those who wrote the Bible they had for God, the sense of, of, uh, of remorse that people had when they sinned against God. I mean, you know, you read the Psalms and you feel people pouring their souls out for all kinds of reasons. And what's always amazed me about the Psalms 
is how someone will, you know, will rip off an, uh, an, uh, uh, a string of, of angry statements or woe is me statements or, you know, something. And then they always come back to say, but you are God. I am me. Thanks be to God, you know, praise and right. glory to God. You know, so there's never a sense of, of who God is ever getting lost in their tirades. And uh, we all do that. And, you know, and, and the, especially the Psalms, you know, they give you a place to experience that with, not, not in place of, but experiencing that with other people who've had similar experiences. You know, yes. there's nothing new under the sun, as Ecclesiastes tells us. And, and that's true. You know, it just gets repackaged. And one of the beautiful parts about the Bible is, is that there is something there for almost every situation in life. And again, it's not a smack in your hands as much as it is an invitation to be more. Right. More than who you currently are. And that's, for me, the, the beauty of the text. Well, and one of the things that we, we try to share and, and bring out through this, this curriculum is um, the, the meaning-making um, method of how the Bible came to be. So we take a real frank look, look using some of the best scholarship um, available to us at this point in time. To say, how did this? How did we really get this text? What is the Bible? How did it happen? Um, who authored it? What was going on in you know in the time? How were they making meaning out of their existence? And I grew up in a in a very conservative, more fundamental um, side of the Christian faith, and so for me, that meaning making wasn't allowed. Um, the meaning in the Bible was assigned. Um, what it meant, uh, what it means, what it meant have been consistent throughout from when it was penned um, in the King James Version, of course, um, all the way up to today. And when I started to look at it differently, when I started to look at the text differently and, and see the struggles of the authors trying to understand how God, how they were in relationship with God in the midst of their lives. Um, that really freed me up to do some of that same work and has really deepened, I think, um, my relationship with God um, and with other people because I make meaning differently now than I once did. Yeah, I've I didn't grow up uh, in the church, uh, and what times I went to church, I went to a, a Methodist church, which was a little more progressive than, uh, uh, again, this is back in the 50s and 60s, so <laughs> keep all that in perspective. But it was a time during Vietnam and, and the right. Civil Rights Movement and that stuff, and, and uh, the most influential pastor that I had in that time uh, was a young firebrand who took on both racism and, and the war as a part of his uh, prophetic witness and uh, paid a heavy price for it in the little conservative community I grew up in. Um, so again, I wasn't, I wasn't getting the, um, you know, the ruler across the knuckles experience with the Bible uh, growing up. Um, what I heard is someone using, using the Bible as a way of talking about how we, how we relate better to one another in the world. Right. And again, taking on race and gender uh, war, uh, those themes. And so the, the Bible was, you know, came to me 
in some sense as an invitation rather than a, rec- a restriction. Yeah. And um, I, I think that for many, as maybe in your experience, tell me if I'm wrong, is that, you know, your experience of the Bible is God's always looking over your shoulder. Yes. And uh, whereas I can honestly say for me, it, it wasn't that. It was God was standing before me inviting me to come. Uh, you know, an open hand, an outstretched hand inviting me to come. And that's been uh, part of my witness from day one. Uh, again, uh, you know, this, that's who I am. I mean, it's who I who right. I was crafted to be. You know, whether you agree with me or not, kind of doesn't matter. Uh, you know, this is this is the DNA that makes Greg Greg. And right. I know, you know, yeah. you have a beautiful DNA that makes you Alex. And, yeah, yeah. And that's the... Uh, and so again, for me, the you know both the, everything about the Jesus way uh, that we've done is an expression of that invitational sense of God inviting us to come, you know, to come on a journey. Jesus is going to show us the way to follow, what pathway to follow, and how to and how to maximize the joy and the blessing of that of walking that pathway. Yes. And it's not judgmental. It's not heavy-handed, uh, and again, this is my understanding. Where where the judgment and the heavy-handedness comes in is when you stray too far off of the expectation God has of us. Life has a way of correcting, of being self-corrective, and um, and so that's uh, uh, again. I don't want to get in the whole sin argument around <laughs> that because certainly there there is a dynamic of that you can't ignore, right? But for the most part, when because we're talking about the Bible and what its purpose is, it's by, the Bible for us and the whole Jesus Way journey is not is not God looking over our shoulder, you, you know, to smack us around upside the head when we screw up. But the right. Jesus Way is an invitation. It's God standing before us and inviting us to come on the journey to be all that God created us to be, to God's own glory for the sake of the world God loves. That's its point. And freeing up the Bible from the God looking over your shoulder standpoint to God standing in front of you, inviting you to come, uh, I think makes it a rather unique study from what I've experienced in most men's resources. Yes. Most men's resources I've experienced over the years came with the God looking over your shoulder kind of message. Right. And so if that's who God is to you and who you want God to be to you, then I'm quite frankly, Jesus way isn't for you. Right. Uh, it'll just frust- it'll just frustrate you. But if you want to if you want to open the door to the beauty and the joy, and the and the enriching, deepening experience of a life lived in right relationship with God, that's what we tried to create with the Jesus way, with the Bible curriculum. And I think it's safe to say that within the next couple of weeks, we will add our third. Uh, uh, curriculum that'll be available. And this one is on prayer. We haven't named it yet, which is why we've been a little bit shy and letting you know it's out there. But this is a beautiful piece that we have done. You and I have done together. Yes. uh, That uses, uh, you know, the ancient form of prayer, Lectio Divina, divine reading, uh, as a way of, of, of a group of men deepening the relationship with God and the Bible and each other, uh, you know, through prayer, uh, this kind of prayer. I've used it many times over the years, and I've never seen it not work. It's always moved the needle in a positive direction in people's lives who took the time to engage 
in one of these group experiences. Yeah. And now we now we get to bring it to disciple men, and you know in this format, which we're, I'm really excited about. And that too is is in that same mode that we've just been discussing about why, how, and how the Jesus way uh, serves the needs of men. Exactly. Um, two things. First, the thing I I appreciate most about I think all the resources that we produce because it's part and parcel of how we. Um, envision and and believe ministry uh, happens specifically ministry with and to men, but ministry in general is it builds relationship. So the Bible curriculum um, really helps bring some disparate viewpoints of what the Bible is and how we've experienced it growing up together and in conversation with some scholarship to think about what the Bible is and how it impacts our lives today in a new way. And doing that with a group of people um, is a great form of building relationships and providing accountability uh, that I think is pretty critical uh, in our lives. Same thing happens with um, the prayer resource that's just about ready to be published um, as soon as we come up with a name for it. So if anybody has a name, let us know. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, please. Yeah, because, uh, but that resource, that, that model is amazingly good at uh, opening up, moving the needle, as you said, opening us up to thinking about scripture in a different way. Uh, I'm currently engaged in a group that's doing this same reflective dwelling model um, and we've met now three times, and each time we have done this uh, reflective model on the same scripture, um, and reading it twice, dwelling in that word, seeing what God has to say to us in the moment, and something new has happened in each of those conversations. Um we started a conversation today. It went on for an hour and a half and we had to call it quits because we all had other things we needed to go do. But the conversation was so full of God's presence, God's spirit, um, that I think we all walked away from that just uplifted and um, excited about the chance to gather again next week and hear the same scripture a couple more times and think about it a little bit more and see what God pulls out of that text for us. That's the beauty of the Lectio Divina is instead of, instead of me taking me to the text, the right. text brings God to me. Yeah. And, uh, and because in the, the way it works, there's no teacher in the setting. Everybody is a listener. We, we called the experience we developed in Kentucky when I was regional minister listening to God because it's simply, essentially that's what it is. It's just listening to God. And that's, uh, uh, um, one of the things that happens uh, with that that we experienced over the years is the same thing you just described, is that we come in some sense unarmed. You know, there's, there's no expert in the room. Right. We honor the fact that what, how I interpret the text today may be different than everybody else in the room, but it's the way God is speaking to me in that moment through that text. And when I share that with everybody else, it expands everybody else in the room's understanding of the text too. Again, it doesn't necessarily have to mean they have to embrace what I said, right. but it adds another layer of understanding and interpretation that enriches 
the whole experience. And uh, it, it's really beautiful. I did, I did this with a group of men. Oh my goodness. It's been 20 years ago, probably 15, 20 years ago, probably 20 years ago. I had a group of men come together for uh, a disciple men's work from all over the country. I think we had about 18 or 20 guys there. They came to Midway University, Midway College at that time here in Central right. Kentucky. And, uh, and with great trepidation, I opened our experience with the Lectio Divina exercise. I truly thought the guys would say, if this is what this retreat's about, I'm going home. I feared that would be, I literally feared, feared that would be the response. Right. So we opened up the, we opened it up and I, we were in a group again, the whole, it was too large a group for a normal uh, Lectio experience, but we had all the guys were in the same room. We got in a circle and we began the journey with that lasted about an hour and a half. The way I've tried to describe that experience over the years, it was like God came and lit a spiritual campfire yeah. in the middle of that group of men. Yeah. And we all basked in the warmth of the glow of that spiritual fire because we knew God was in our midst. And I have to say it has been, even today, it still remains as one of the most powerful experiences with men I've ever had. And I've been blessed with a lot of wonderful men's experiences. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and that opened a door uh, for that weekend experience that, we would not have walked away with as rich an experience as we had, but hadn't been for that Lectio exercise. And so uh, again, that's my excitement about this. I've seen it work with men. I've seen it work with men and women in mixed groups. I've, seen, I've never seen it not work. It always transforms life in some form. Like you said, there's always something new, even if you're just reading the same text over and over and over again. Yeah, exactly. That's the beauty of it because it takes you into a different level of self and group than you get in your conversation. Right. Because, because now God is there. You've invited God in. You've given God, you've opened the door to God to be a part of that group in a different kind of way. And lo and behold, God won't disappoint you. God shows up. Yes. And it is an amazing experience. That is, it has been my, my experience with Lectio through the years. Um, I didn't encounter it until I was much later in life. As a matter of fact, I think the first time I encountered the idea, uh, the model of Lectio Divina was probably at seminary. So 15, 20 years ago, um, when I started that journey. Um, it, it is remarkable um, how an attitude, a, a posture, if you will, of receptiveness, of listening for God's voice, God's spirit to speak in and to our lives, um, just that posture of receptiveness changes so much about um, the relationship we have, not only with God, but with everyone else who's in that same situation, uh, that same experience with us. It does because it requires you to listen, to truly yeah. listen. I'm an extrovert. <laughs> I think that's absolutely clear. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, one of the extroverts would rather talk than listen. And I've learned again, I, I give credit to my experience with uh, as an oblate at St. Mindred Arch Abbey. Is it, it teaches you, teaches us extroverts, teaches all of us really, but especially extroverts to shut up and listen. And it takes a while to learn that discipline. 
Yes. It, it, again, the list again, self-confession. The Lectio builds it in. Mm-hmm. I mean, it makes you listen. You're uncomfortable if you're an extrovert for the first couple of times you do it. You know, again, because you you have some someone steps on that, you know, I got to speak throttle inside of you, you know, to break the silence. But in time, all of us learn right. the value of sitting back and listening. Again, you listen to God through the text, and then you listen to your brothers or sisters in the room as they talk about how the text is being uh, manifest in their life for that moment. Uh, and then you go back and you listen to God and self again. And, you know, now you've got a much larger context to process the information. If it's only what Greg sees and brings into the room, well, it's not worth much. Right. But if it's Greg's, what Greg sees and experiences brought in the room of eight or nine other people, and all those eight or nine other people have a chance to share their experiences, all of a sudden, look how we've multiplied, you know, an understanding of the text. Again, there's no right, there's no wrong. What I say is mine, and everybody owns it as mine. Right. Yeah. And and what you say is yours, and we own it as yours. And uh, but you know, it just gives you so much more, so much more to to uh, see the world, to see God, to see the people around you when you have that kind of rich experience. And uh, it is a it is a magnificent piece. Now we started to talk about the Bible. We moved into <laughs> prayer. <laughs> and we, we, we got sidetracked because it's so much fun. Well, to, to let the let the extroverts off the hook for a little bit and throw the introverts like myself onto the hook a little bit, uh, Lectio does it an interesting, uh, has an interesting twist for those of us who like to think and keep things inward as well. That sharing part is what I find at least to be a little bit more uncomfortable at first because it requires the level of vulnerability um, that I may not want to give. I, mm-hmm. I can sit and think about a text all day, but sharing what's going on in my mind and in my heart with somebody else and have them hear that and say, well, that's not what I'm experiencing. Quite frankly, that just makes me anxious, um, mm-hmm. gets under my skin. Again, like you were saying, the beauty is we own that each of those are our own interpretations. We, we keep that at the forefront of our minds. Um, it's what God is saying to me at that time. Um, and um, some, so the sharing is hard for those of us that are more introverted uh, in our nature. Um, but uh, like I said, it, it moves everybody out of their comfort zone, which I think is some of the beauty um, of that model of Lectio Divina, uh, which is, quite frankly, it's a way of experiencing the relationship that we were talking about, that we began talking about, um, with the Bible's uh, curriculum. You know, it, it is just diving deeply into a text, um, whereas the Bible curriculum um, gives us maybe a broader panoramic view of how we interpret texts and uh, maybe a different understanding or a, a deeper understanding of where they originated and what the context um, is behind um, behind what's going on in, um, in the Bible and just in the text in general. Um, like I said, my original um, experience was 
uh, of the Bible was not focused on the context. Um, whereas, uh, as I learned later in life, getting in the seminary and, and studying the, the Bible more deeply, um, I found that that context really makes all the difference in the world. It really transforms the way we, we look at the text. Um, and in my experience, I believe it also helps us then apply the principles that we glean from the text to our own context. I agree. And I certainly, that was my seminary experience as well. Maybe, maybe it's helpful to frame what we're doing in this way. I don't think we've taken the time to do this. The Jesus way, the basic study is our story, a look at our story uh, primarily, digging deep so we get a lot of self-awareness pieces. And then we move into the Bible, which is God's story. So we have our story now being projected against God's story. And that's what takes place in the Bible curriculum. Mm -hmm. When we move into the prayer discipline, uh, the, the new study that's based on Lectio Divina, what happens is my story becomes a part of God's story. Yes. And we see, and again, all of a sudden, my story takes on monumentally larger life and importance than what the right kind of importance. I may have had an overinflated ego about that before. Right. But now I, now I see myself in the grand scheme of who God is and why God called me into being. And that's the, that's the journey that we're trying to create for men with this, where we learn, come to terms with our own stories and make peace with that, where we spend some time projecting our story against the backdrop of God's story, which is the Bible. And then we move it into the merging, the blending of our story into God's story in ways that uh, my own experience is it, it sets me free, you know. Uh, and uh, <clears throat> that's, the, that's, that's really the journey we've tried to create for disciple men. Yes. And there's no judgment. It's not his intent. You know, there's, there's no God looking over your shoulder, you know, uh, with a yardstick or ruler in God's hand to smack you when you screw up. You know, that's not, that's right. not the way it is. This is an invitation to be all you are created to be by God. And what we've tried to do is create a journey, you know, you know, uh, in the company of other men for that experience to happen. And, um, how how well we've done that well time will tell <laughs> yeah time will tell and again we don't we don't have any false claims about this uh, but what we do know is that if you give god a chance to to truly be present in any one yes. of these contexts yeah extraordinary things can happen because god will show up yes i mean frankly god's already there just right, our consciousness exactly. and awareness yeah. of god yeah, changes, <clears throat> and and so that's that's what I hope people understand about what we're doing. This this isn't you know we're not trying to create some kind of power power group of disciple men. Uh, you know we're not promise keepers. That's not who no. we are. That's a you know that's a radically different approach than what we're doing. You know it's not about making kinder and gentler tyrants. 
out of the men, out of men. It's this is truly a transformational component that we're we're looking at, and and uh, we hope, you know, that uh, again nobody's getting rich off of this thing. We've made it as cheaply as we can make it because we want it in everyone's hands. Yes. Uh, as you shared in the past, that uh, we've been, you've been made aware that um, that there are men's and women's men and women using material in yes in uh, yeah. uh, mixed gender groups. And, uh, and that seems to be working, which is pretty exciting. We're not promoting it as that way, but certainly if there's value in that, we would celebrate it. Yes. So again, this is, please hear us. This is the world. I'll, I'll say this and then I'll shut up, I promise. <laughs> <laughs> we live in a time in which male integrity, male character, male truthfulness, male uh, setting an example of those things for younger generations is, as maybe at its most critical point ever. It's not an anything goes world. And as we shared before, when you live in a democratic society like ours, my freedom stops when it begins to impinge upon your freedom. Yeah. And if you don't understand that's the way it works, then you've misunderstood what we're all about. It's not all about your wants and needs being the only thing that matters. Right. This is about us figuring out how we satisfy wants and needs collectively so that, so that everybody gets something and a little more, but not everybody, get, not, not a few people get everything, which seems to be the trend that people think uh, the way it should go. Right. And so our hope is, is that men will make this journey because we need men of integrity. We need men of high character. We need men of, you know, of strong moral character. Uh, we need men who are honest and trustworthy. We need men who are, you know, who honor their relationships with their spouses or significant others and their children, uh, who, who understand that life is about living a certain, out of a certain base set of principles. And from that is where your integrity and character and honesty and all those other moral character, all those things come. That's yeah. where they come from. And, we just, you and I both believe that this is in a very important time for those things to, to, to yes. be happening again among Christian men, and which is why we're putting our efforts into doing these resources for uh, men in congregational settings. I think you're right. And, and you know, it, to just extend on that briefly, and then we'll call it a, call it a time. Uh, but a lot of what um, I believe we're trying to do with with the curriculum that we we publish uh, that we make available to congregations is give men a safe place you know create safe environments to learn how to listen to reflect to study to learn to do all those things that we need to do to be the leaders, both of ourselves and in the world, that the world so desperately needs today. Amen to that, Alex. So Amen that that we're just we're we're really just trying to to make each of us, each man, each person, the best image of who God is calling us to be, and, yeah. and some tools tools to help along that journey. Um, excited to say that there. Uh, that three is not the magic number this time. There is still more to come. 
Um, hopefully later this fall, um, we've got a couple more things to announce that I'm, I'm excited about. Um, that we're, where we really try to take some of the elements in these first three studies and weld them together um, and, and use them to further us uh, on our walks as well. So excited to let you know that that is coming. Um, also, uh, we're, uh, remind you to, uh, or ask you to continue to be in prayer for us uh, as we recently received word that we have been uh, funded, received a grant from the Orange Scott Foundation uh, to pursue a new men's curriculum that is diverse from the get-go. Um, so we are in conversation with the, the partners within the Christian Church Disciples of Christ, with National Convocation, with uh, NAPAD, with Obra Espana, uh, to identify a group of men to come together um, to do some of these very same things that we've been talking about um, and to begin uh, building relationships out of which um, we hope to bring a, a unique and transformative um, curriculum study that is broad-based in its um, inception and in its thought and its authorship, every every way, shape, or form. So that's coming up. That's probably uh, still a ways in the future, but we encourage you to be in prayer for us. Um, as as disciples men, as Christian Church Disciples of Christ takes on this um, new and exciting venture. Absolutely, and it is part of who our own identity is as disciples of Christ. We are a, a pro-reconciling, anti-racist church, and uh, and this is disciples men's way of helping us live truly live into that um, identity piece of who we are as disciples of Christ. Thank you for that reminder. Yep. Greg, thank you for your time today. Thank you, everyone, for listening. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Alex. Take care, everyone. Our special thanks to our good friend, the Reverend Dr. Dean Phelps, for providing the special music of this podcast. You can discover more of Dean's music at deanphelpsmusic.com. And you can learn more about the ministry of Disciples Men on Facebook and through discipleshomemissions.org.